you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Folks, my guest this evening is Trevin Wax. He is, of course, Dr. Trevin Wax. He is a former missionary to Romania. He is a professor. He is a writer of several books, and he's got a brand new one out. And we wanted to talk with him about it because we want to talk with you, our listeners, about it. And we hope that this is one that many of you are going to get hold of. The title is intriguing because most people don't use these words together. The title is The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Well, uh, lots of people like the idea of a thrill. And uh, those of us who know the Lord and believe his word is true should treasure orthodoxy. But being thrilled by orthodoxy, that's an unusual juxtaposition of words. So, Trevin, thank you for saying something that needed to be said in a way that grabs people's attention. And welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for pointing out the the odd juxtaposition of those words. That was certainly the intention of naming the book that. Absolutely. Now, in the book, you talk about um, the fact that familiarity uh, often removes the sense of wonder. And you give a great illustration of when you were spending time in Romania and uh, getting hold of uh, good, fresh, clean water was not automatic. I've traveled enough overseas that I know this very well. In fact, uh, I still <laughs> cherish clean water when I'm back in the States. But um, you got used to not being able to easily get water. When you got back to the States, what happened? Well, it was my first time back. I'll never forget it. I was uh, I was 19. I'd already been overseas for quite some time. And, you know, I had gotten used to just having to figure out how to have a, supp- a supply of drinkable water with me at all times. Yeah. And I remember my first night back at Christmas, um, I was back in my home. I unpacked my things in my room and I, I walked downstairs with my hunter green colored thermos to, to get some, some ice water from the fridge. And I just remember, I can still see myself standing there on the, on the staircase. And I remember just thinking to myself how easy that was yeah. <laughs> just just and i i was just wowed by the 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 beauty of having drinkable running water cold running water right there at just the touch of a button and um and it's just it's the kind of thing that you just so easily take for granted until you haven't had it for a while and you realize just what a blessing it is and i think there are so many aspects of life that are like that amen Amen. And so, and 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 then I apply that to doctrine. I think there are fundamental Christian truths that we've gotten so used to singing about, hearing preached, 
taught in our Sunday school classes and small groups, um, truths that we come across in God's word, mm-hmm. that we lose the wonder and the thrill at just how beautiful they really are. Amen. And how transformative they are. That's right. I mean, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. That's right. And and so we should be absolutely continually in awe of the gospel. But that is sadly not the case. Now, you've been back in the States for more than a little while. That's right. Every time you go to the fridge, you still just stand there mystified by how wonderful this (laughs) is. You give thanks to God, right? I wish that were the case. I wish I could tell you that I've never lost my sense of wonder when it comes to water, but unfortunately I have. And our our ice machine doesn't work exactly right. Sometimes it just spits out way too many ice cubes. <laughs> and uh, I, I, you know, we've got to filter that water sometimes or we don't change the filter soon enough and it starts to taste funny. I wish I could tell you that I have never lost my sense of wonder, but unfortunately uh, it's, a, it's a fight. Uh, you know, the, the adventure of life is a fight for astonishment. And I think the same is true of the Christian life, unless we are continually fighting for that sense of wonder and thrill and understanding the adventure of the Christian faith, we will lose it. We will lose it. Well, and and sadly, uh, churches that uh, try to astonish in new ways, you know, the people, people, don't seem to be as interested in the old truths. Uh, Tell me the old, old story is not a popular song in America today. Um, and so, you know, they often, pastors often want to come up with a new approach, a new message, a new slant, something else that will perk up the ears and cause people to be interested. The problem is the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. There's not two or three other things that are also. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And orthodox theology, uh, it was, um, I believe, Linus in the Peanuts cartoon who said that uh, when he, he stated something and the other person said, well, that's really comforting. And he said, good theology is comforting. That's right. The the fact of the matter is, if we would stick with what God says, if we would stay in his word, he will continue to amaze us. Because over and over and over, we find that his word is true and that it changes us. That's right. And, you know, I I think when there are pastors and there are church leaders that that tend to want to, to, to find new ways to astonish the congregation— with new teachings or new truths or edgy things or whatnot, or, or different methods. And I I want to say the impulse to astonish is correct, Mm -hmm. but the astonishment that we should be going for, comes from the old truths. Amen. And showing how those old truths still astonish, how eternally relevant they still are. That's the harder task. It's easy to find new things to try to wow people with. It's trying to help people understand those old things that wow people. That's, that's really where the beauty comes in. Amen. Amen. It seems to me uh, a, another major mistake that is sometimes made is people simply focusing on trying to find new ways to communicate and failing to recognize that we're not in this on our own. When we seek to proclaim the truth of God's word, we need to do so in utter dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
because yeah. it is the Holy Spirit who not only regenerates, but he's the one who opens our eyes to see the truth. And people can hear the same thing over and over, faithfully proclaimed, clearly stated, but God has to open their eyes. God has to give them ears to hear. God has to change their hearts. And so when we realize that, rather than, you know, discouraging us that, you know, I'm being clear, I don't understand, we need to be crying out to him and saying, Lord, open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, change the hearts so that people receive. I, as an old man now, you're a young fellow, but as an old man who's been in ministry a long time, I cannot count the number of people who have said, you know, I know I've heard this before, but I've never heard it like this before. And it's not because I said it in some new way. It's because God had just done a work in them. So they had that epiphany, and they realized, as, as one of my old friends now in heaven said, he was in Israel at the garden tomb. And he said, he said I thought that I was a Christian since I was a young man. But he said, standing there in that place, I was overwhelmed with the fact he died for me. He died for me. Wow. He said, then and there, this is in his 70s, he said, then and there, I bowed and yielded my life to him and said, I want to live for you. Now, that's what a Christian does from the start, but he thought he was one. He had never really, by faith, encountered the Lord. He didn't see something. There was not some uh, shining light that came into the room. It was instead simply a fresh awareness brought by the Holy Spirit that showed him the truth of the resurrection, the truth of God's sending his son to die in our place. And that truth transformed his life. Now, Trevin, there are five key takeaways that you are hoping folks are going to get from this book. Let's, let's explore those a little bit. What are the five key areas, five truths that you want people to take away from this book? Well, I, I want people to, to, to recognize that um, at the end of the day, it's not something new that's going to reinvigorate the heart. It's something old that the spirit does in us, as you Amen. said, taking those old truths and then moving from the head to the heart. Mm -hmm. So I want to see people uh, um, reinvigorated by Christian truth, enduring yes. Christian truth through yeah. all the ages. Um, another thing I want to see happen is for people to have a, a greater sense of confidence in, in the goodness and the power of Christian truth. I think a lot of times, especially nowadays, there's just so many different teachings that are out there and there are so many different innovations that are that are showing up and there's just all sorts of of areas in which we we really need um, to regain a sense of confidence that what god has said is true is Amen. true and will remain true Amen. and so i don't want to see people unsettled by christian teaching i want people to be more uh inclined to recognize the enduring relevance of of christian teaching yes. um a, another takeaway i hope that will happen is that there will be um uh, um, uh, a sense in which all of the good things that we do uh, 
flow from the gospel itself, that we don't get so enamored with the changes that we might make in the world, mm -hmm. but that other people will see uh, um, uh, what will we'll see the connection between what it is we believe and then and how we live. But I would say most important of all, and this is the the, the most important thing I could say about Christian doctrine, is that uh, is not just that we be rooted in it, which as good as that is, is a wonderful thing, not just be that we be connected to the church around the world, which that in itself is also a good thing, but we ultimately want to have an encounter with the God that these doctrines describe. Amen. It's not just that our heads would be filled with knowledge, but that mm -hmm. our heads would be bowed mm -hmm. before the one who has called us. You know, Jesus asked the question, um, who do you say that I am? And all Christian theology is a response to that question. Yes. And it's not just that we give the right answer, but that we come to know the one that those doctrines describe. That's, it's the encounter with God, the experience with God. Ultimately, that's what's life transforming. The doctrines themselves are not what transform. It's Amen. the God who those doctrines describe. Amen. Uh, I, I agree. And this is a major point of my preaching and teaching ministry. Um, one of the ways that I try to drive that home for folks is to ask the question, you know, how orthodox uh, would you guess Satan's theology is? Um, does Satan believe that the scriptures are true? Of course he does. Does he believe the miracles really happened? Of course he does. Does he believe that God created everything? Well, of course. Does he know that he himself is doomed and that his time is shorter and shorter? Yes, he knows these things. Does he believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes, he believes that. He knows that. He knows that one day every knee will bow, including his and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, including his. He knows all these things. That kind of knowledge of doctrine and even belief in the truthfulness of doctrine is not salvific, because Satan is still in rebellion against the one he knows is God. That's right. And so it's imperative that we not comfort ourselves with the idea that we know the right stuff, we can check the boxes, uh, we can argue our position against other people who are not as, as uh, intelligent as we are or haven't been taught as well as we have. We you know, we know what is true and we can defend it. That won't get you into heaven. That's right. It is essential, as you said, that we encounter the God who is God and that we bow that we surrender to him. It's not just head knowledge. It is life transformation. And that only comes from God. That's right. And you know, I've, I've, I've said that this way before, it's possible to win a game of Bible trivia and to not really look a lot like Jesus. Amen. It's also possible to argue the intricacies of our theology of Christ, our Christology all day long, and never walk across the street to actually share Christ with someone else. <laughs> like it is very possible that we would, we would seek to justify ourselves by our doctrinal knowledge. Amen. And, and some, and sometimes people have done that and they've, they've, they've had a sense of superiority, which to me is, is almost comical. If anything should knock the legs out of any sense of superiority we ought to have, it ought to be our doctrinal understanding of God, who he is, what he has done and his grace toward us. Amen. We are so selfish that we can twist even grace to becoming a, 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 a reason for pride or for boasting. And so 
Um, I, I think that's one of the key things to, to remember is that it's our encounter with God. It's our relationship with God that, that matters. That does, that's not to say the doctrines don't matter. They do. Absolutely. They absolutely are fundamental and foundational, but we will not be justified by correct doctrine. We're justified by faith in the one who has saved us. Amen. Amen. It's only God who can save. That's right. Now, it does concern me, and again, I think your book addresses this well, that there are a whole lot of people who are not being taught essential Christian doctrine. It's just not out there. It's now probably at least two years ago that Barna released a report that said that I believe it was a third of self-identified evangelical Christians. Again, I didn't say they were evangelicals self-identified as evangelical Christians, did not believe that Jesus is God. Now, I mean, that, that <laughs> makes my mind want to explode. Is How is that possible? In what sense do these people possibly identify themselves as evangelical Christians? Is it because of a political you know, alignment? Is it because they grew up in that? Because somebody told them we are evangelicals and they believed it? I, I often tell the, the old joke about the guy who, during the Irish Civil War comes out of a bar, is thrown in the car, gun to his head, and they ask him, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And he thinks, man, if I get this wrong, I'm dead. So he says, I'm an atheist. Well, now his captors kind of look at each other, and then one of them says, okay, okay, but are you a Catholic atheist or a Protestant atheist? And, you know, I mean, we, we tell that and we chuckle, but the fact is there are a ton of people who feel very strongly about their church identification, their denominational affiliation, their historic roots in some group, but they don't know the Lord at all. And yeah. it is essential if we're going to know him, that we be taught who he is, because God has chosen to reveal himself. He didn't leave it all as some great mystery, and, you know, we just know that somewhere out there, there is this higher power. No, God the creator, God who comes to save, God who conquered sin and death for us, he has revealed himself in creation, in his word, and in Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is making his appeal through us as his ambassadors, calling people to come to him, trust in him, repent and believe the gospel. But if people are going to do that, they need to know the things that are basic Christian doctrine. You make a very helpful distinction between, uh, and an important distinction, between the creeds, and the various confessions. Talk with us a little bit about that, if you would, Trevin. Yeah, that's, um, you know, there are few creeds, but there are many confessions, and the creeds tend to be short summary statements that focus on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what he has done, and they, and they kind of lay out salvation uh, in that way. Uh, they're, they, they tend to be shorter. They also tend to be for use in, in the church and in, in liturgical settings or to, mm -hmm. to be recited, easily memorized. Mm -hmm. uh, the, they are kind of the, I, the, the scaffolding, if you will, of the entire Christian story. If we're looking at the Christian story, like a, mm -hmm. a structure from beginning to end, uh, confessions are, are what different groups within Christianity 
uh, have have um, have taken and have fleshed out more of the ramifications and the implications from those creeds. So most of the time, the confessions, a lot of times they'll even, I think about my denomination's statement of faith, which isn't quite, doesn't fall into the realm of confession, but it is a, it is a statement of faith that actually uh, links back to those foundational creeds and says we are, we're, we're teasing out the implications of what this, this creedal affirmation is. <clears throat> and different denominations have different confessions. So you'll have a, you know, there are the, the famous reformational concession, uh, confessions that you have in the, the Lutheran churches, for example, or the, the, the reformed churches, or even Baptists have had confessions. And then, uh, and you'll have different, different churches and groups. And sometimes groups come together to do a confession on their own. I, I, I include one at in the back of the book that's, uh, yeah in celebration of 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but those confessions flesh out in more detail for a denomination generally or a church tradition what, uh, what, what are the, 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 the fundamentals of the faith in expressed in a, in a broader, in a, in a more expansive way for that, that church community. Now, Trevin, you and I both have background in the Baptist churches, and, uh, of course, a lot of people think that, for instance, the Southern Baptist Convention is a big church. And, of course, you know it's not. It's an association of churches that are congregational in, in government and in nature. But um, what I ran into when I moved from uh, theological education in New England to pastoral uh, ministry in the South, uh, some people, when I would even mention something about uh, faith being creedal, um, that there are certain things that are essential beliefs. Uh, the response of my Baptist brethren was, we have no creed but scripture. And my response was, well, excuse me, but you just stated something that is a creed. That is a creedal statement. When you say we have no creed but scripture, you have just given a very short creed. You're saying this we believe. That's right. <laughs> that was very frustrating to them, but they couldn't refute it. Eventually, they began to see that I was not their enemy. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are confused because their background made them suspicious of anything that went under the name creed. And they were not really necessarily uh, very familiar with confessions, even though the Baptist faith and message was good. Um, you and I want whether we're talking creed or confession, to keep pointing people back to Jesus and making sure that it is the God of the Bible that we're That's talking. Right. We're talking about the historic Jesus whom God has revealed through the written word. He is the living word, but if you try and detach him from the New Testament or if you try and detach him from the Old Testament, you have just gone out of orthodoxy, which is thrilling, into heterodoxy at best. And it, we need to call people back to that which is biblical orthodoxy, because the Bible is true, and it is God's word. As we proclaim what God has spoken, then we have the opportunity to see his power at work in a whole different way. So I thank you for The Thrill of Orthodoxy, your newest book. And I hope that many of our listeners will say, yeah, I want to check that out. Well, I hope so too. And I hope if they do, that it will uh, reinvigorate 
their Christian faith so that they will see the adventure of it and that they will uh, come to know God a little bit better. If people come to me with a book of mine and say, this book drew me closer to Jesus, I feel like my work is done. That's the ultimate goal. That's the hope. Amen. Trevin Wax, thank you so much. God bless you. And I know you live in Middle Tennessee. I want you to come visit us in East Tennessee. That's, uh, I love East Tennessee, so that sounds wonderful. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE or contact us on the web at wvr.org. Abiding in Christ is paid for by the generous donations of listeners like you. We are grateful for gifts of any amount. You can make a donation online at wvr.org. That's wvr.org.